you know, whether I'm doing anxiety, depression, couples work, whatever, um, I'm looking for that when ego is getting involved and then helping people out of that. Because a lot of times people will, even when it comes to authenticity, because I think authenticity is real, but a lot of times people will say, well, I'm just being honest, blah, 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 blah. That's actually not honest. That is ego. Well, that was my new friend, Jennifer Don Watts. She is a therapist who started her own practice in Calgary, Alberta, which is way, way, way up north, I think, in Canada. Uh, She's also planted several different 12-step churches, a couple in Calgary and one in Los Angeles. And she just has so many good things to say. I love this conversation so much. Uh, that we turned around and she decided to interview me. You're going to get that uh, in in one of the upcoming weeks. Uh, but please enjoy this uh, interview uh, and then connect with her work. You'll find all the info on the show notes and um, you're, you're just going to love her energy and her passion and her heart. I know I do. Uh, so enjoy the podcast. Jennifer Don Watts. Hi, Jen. Hi, Steve. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, it's like when we met at Evolving Faith in real life and I started Mm -hmm. thinking about this, this conversation, I was like, we better, we better like make two or three hours just to get through my first set of questions. Okay. So I'm diving right in. I've already wasted 30 seconds. All right. Okay. I've already wasted 30 seconds. Here's my first question. And I always ask this of, you know. My guest, it's something I borrow from Krista Tippett, but when you are driving a friend to the airport and they're having a hard time opening up one of the doors in your car, uh, just, I know you're a therapist, like how do you, how do you handle that in a way that the person doesn't spiral into a big shame sort of, you know, spy, like what, and, and again, I you ask know, this question to everybody, so just, just go ahead, just whatever comes to mind. Yeah, it's so interesting that you would ask me that. I had that happen to me this last weekend. And um, yeah, I was with somebody and they just couldn't find the back hatch portal. So um, yeah, we went to the back and um, they were a little aggressive, a little a little anxious to get it open. But we, uh, we played uh, hotter, colder. <laughs> And it worked. It worked. They had success. You know, it's all about the small successes. So, oh um, yeah, that's what I would suggest. I, I, I can picture you doing that. I, I can picture you actually, you know, hot or colder and, and how just yes. friendly and, and yes. safe you would make that person feel. And I, I, I bet, like if, I mean, you said that happened to you, which is fascinating because normally when I ask this question, people don't, they don't even know, they don't even know where I'm going. But right. I, I bet, I bet that person went from a complete anxiety swirl yes to like you know maybe even they crying said it was internally. the best part of their weekend actually yeah. they said they said it really awkwardly something about backdoor but yeah it, yeah they said it was the best part of their weekend so it was good <laughs> okay so that was just that whole thing was a big um I was the person you guys I was the person that couldn't open up the back hatch and Jen helped me to my I did. To, to my credit um, if you ever, if you, if you are involved in a Ford Eco Sport, I, I challenge you to try to get that back hatch open. And no, I think it's you won't brutal. It's it. brutal. The guy at the rental car agency said nobody <laughs> can figure out how to open it. So people should check it out. It's really unique where it is. The it door is. hatch. Latch. Uh, okay, Jen. So Portal. actually for real, 
what's your spiritual background? Um, because I think that that informs everything for most of us. What is your for spiritual sure. background? So, um, yeah, I'm conscious of not like spending too much time on this, but I do, I get why it's important understanding where people come from. So for me, I, uh, became a Christian when I was 19 and I was in a Baptist church and I kind of had that experience. I don't know. I think it was C.S. Lewis or somebody who said, you know, for some people, it's sort of like you're crossing. I think he said like the border, let's say from like England to France. And like some people are awake when you cross the border and then some people are sleeping, but they just know that they're in France now. Mm, yeah. And so I kind of had the second in the sense that um, when I was 16, my mom became a Christian and, um, she had these tapes, actually cassette tapes. I can't even believe it was cassette tapes. Like I, I don't feel like I'm that old, but, uh, and they were from her church and there was a couple with, um, I think one was actually the minister talking and he was an addict, uh, that had been in recovery and he was talking about sex. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe this church is talking about sex. And, you know, it was really powerful how he said, you know, it's actually a really great thing and God made it for you. And um, I don't know, it was just such a powerful conversation and it, it was wise. And so um, that started to change me. And then Bart Campolo, I don't know if you know him. He was one I of the do. speakers. I, okay. I mean, I, but I've, I've, I met with him randomly once. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. And he just such a fascinating guy. But go ahead. Yes. So it, one was him and he talked about this. Um, you know, program that he had in the inner city and, and it was one year and he had this argument that, you know, if Mormons can give two years, we as Christians should at least be able to give one, right? Which was good. And, uh, I just, he told this story, um, about a playwright, you know, it was kind of the whole thing of, you know, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? And he kind of told this story about a playwright writing this beautiful play, but nobody was doing, playing their part. You know, I don't know if you've heard that story or maybe your listeners have, but, Eventually, you know, people are saying, boo, you're a lousy playwright. This place sucks, you know, and then all of a sudden one person, one actor has actually learned their lines really well and comes onto the stage and starts playing their part. And then one by one, the actors follow that and really, you know, it's a beautiful play. And so, you know, that answered a really big question for me about, you know, why, if God is so good, why are bad things happening? And, you know, it's really that free will argument. But those two talks, those two tapes, I would listen and listen to them. And uh, so I, I graduated early because I skipped a grade in school. So I was 16 in grade 12 and I was in Alberta at 18, but I got fake ID. So I was going to the bar when I was 17 <laughs> and uh, like legit fake ID. Like I actually went into the, like the DMV and got like someone else's license. It's pretty gnarly, but, yes. um, but I was going to the bar and uh, I was witnessing to people when I was drunk and I, <laughs> I, I was crazy and I wasn't really even a Christian officially yet, but I was just like, Oh, do you know? Like, and I wasn't, I decided not to have sex at that point in my life, like I was in college and I had a boyfriend, but I was going to wait. Mm -hmm. And even that made me like the hottest girl in the bar, I think. Oh, and so yeah. people are like, what, what do you, and I don't know. I just had these conversations with my girlfriends. And I think cause I had had a really wild childhood, like from 13 on, I was pounding like two liter bottles of coolers. I was running away from home. So, you know, at 16, 17, it gave me a new way to see the world, a new life, a new identity, kind of a place. And so anyhow, I, you know, that was, that was those ages. But when I was 19 is when, um, I had gone to a new university in Victoria, BC, and I was at the bar one night with my friend and I was used to Alberta where people are really, really friendly. And in BC, it's a little clicky. 
And so um, my friend and I were at the bar and we just could not meet people. This was like maybe our fourth or fifth time. And we were used to where, you know, the girls go to the bathroom, you chat, you have new best friends and everything. And it was so, I have never left the bar early at this point in my life ever. And it was so boring that we left the bar and we went to Denny's and we were sitting there. Yes. And we were sitting there and I was like, I was like, how are we going to meet people? Like, this is crazy. And then I just said to her, I said, what do you think about church? And she looks at me and she's like, (laughs) actually, I was thinking that. She goes, I just saw this church across the street from the university. Do you want to go tomorrow? And I was like, yes. So we went the next morning and there was this guy, Ron, who was actually cool uh, because I never felt like I really fit in with the Christian kids. And so um, he had been an atheist and he was like a new Christian, like a year. And he just really was excited to answer all these questions. I had the real, you know, the alpha type questions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my dad wasn't a Christian and he died when I was 13. So like, do you think he went to hell? You know, those big questions. Mm -hmm. My one of my best friends was gay you know, do you think he's going to hell? You know, those kind of things. So um, he just spent a lot of time with me answering those questions. And then I was like, yeah, I'm totally in. I believe this is actually true. And so, yeah, it was November 29th. I don't remember the year actually, but I was 19 and I I got baptized. And then that's when it was really real for me. And then I, you know, and then the craziest thing happened that year actually is I remembered the Bart Campolo tape from when I was 16 that I'd always listened to. And one random day in university, I was like, I have to do that. I I have to do that program. And so I called because this I don't even know if we had really the Internet then, but I called. <laughs> I, that, that's weird to say out loud, actually. But, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing the math. I'm thinking it's yeah, probably around 99, 2000. And yes, yeah, it is. yeah, it is. It was 1998. Mm-hmm. And um. And so I had to call the area codes because all I knew was Philadelphia and his name. And so I had to call the different area codes in Philadelphia and dial, you know, 555-1212 like mm-hmm. that. I don't even think we have 411 anymore, but we had it at the time. But that's how you called 411 in other states. And I just said, hey, do you have anything for Bart Campolo? And they, the lady said, no, but I have a Martha. And I thought, oh, maybe it's his aunt or something like that. So I thought, oh, I'm calling it. And I called and um, I said, this guy answered and I said, "Um, hi, I'm wondering if you know of a way I could get a hold of a man named Bart Campolo. And he said, this is Bart. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do now? And so I just said, "Uh, I heard this thing that you're doing. And it was a couple of years ago in the inner city and I would like to do it. And he's like, yeah, let me just grab your address and I'll send you a application packet and he mailed it to me and I applied and it was the next year 99 2000 that I was in Chicago and like one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago and I did that for a year so it was pretty transformative like just learning about social justice and and it was just so neat how they did it like they were really conscious of us not being sort of white saviors coming in to save the day so we had to be really willing to with humility work alongside of people who are already doing really powerful things. They just needed help. Um, and I had to have a Sabbath. So that stuck with me since then. I still have a Sabbath to this day. Um, yeah, just lots of things that, that were really influential about that time. So yeah, so that's a bit of my journey. Well, I mean, Janet kind of strikes me how, and we've, we've talked about like, is it God? Is it the universe? Is it fate? Is it karma? Is it the parking spot? Who cares? But that you got in touch with someone like Bart Campolo, because I think 
Barton's dad, Tony, think differently, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, you could have, you could have, and I mean, sort of in the space that you were in that, you know, you're just kind of starting out in Christianity, you could have ended up <laughs> in some yeah. really crazy spots. Well, and I still did because I mean, right. that first year I was at this Baptist church that was really kind of buttoned up and, but it was so foundational. Like we did, um, did you ever do the Experiencing God Bible study, oh, the Lord, workbook? Yes. Yes, I yes. did that. I've done it like five did, or six times. Yeah, yeah, so, I did it around around two thousand. Around that I think. time, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, I had some really, I don't know, just some foundational stuff then, and uh, and then I went to the inner city, and then I was part of um, Victory Outreach, which is like a kind of a spinoff of, um, I forget what Teen Challenge is what it's oh, called, yeah, but it's yeah, 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 who have like you know been incarcerated and like gangs and. I was just, I was so out of place. I mean, I was 19 in this church that was very charismatic. I had this one time where I was, um, I really didn't know about the slain in the spirit thing. Like I wasn't too mm. sure. And I, one time we were going to see this prophet. It was so crazy. And I, there was two things. I was like, okay, I, I really wanted to know about Australia because I want to go to Australia one day. I was thinking this in my head. I didn't tell anybody. And then I, I was really like, I don't know about the slain in the spirit thing. And like at that meeting, he was like, and you're going to the land down under. And I was like, what? And I actually did end up going to Australia, which is crazy. And then um, and then I did get like knocked over kind of like I, he was praying and I kind of I don't really know, like I kind of passed out. So I don't really know what that's all about, to be honest with you. Like, I don't know. Is that the devil? Is that God? Is that was it me? I don't know. But I just the point is when you said, um, you know, this influence in my life at that time, I think I did have a really broad spectrum of experiences mm -hmm. with Christianity that uh, maybe helped me be more open down the road to where different people are coming from. Well, and again, like we just as I'm getting to know you and 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 it, that's new. My experience, I'm, I'm so delighted actually by you and your experiences because you'll tell the story like, oh, yeah, and, and we'll get to this. And I just moved to L.A. with my kids, single mom, living in a, you know, essentially a van down by the river to start totally. this Q community. Yes. And even when we ran into each other and we knew each other from Twitter, but when we ran into each other at Evolving Faith, it's kind of like, you know, my sense was well, why are you here? And I think you were there for a different reason that most people were at Evolving yes. Faith. And one of the reasons I really honestly believe, because I'm, you know, part of my own recovery is being really honest, is yeah. I think I was meant to meet you yeah. in person when we did and have yeah. that, you know, time. And it's just crazy how it doesn't happen to me a lot, but when it does, I listen. And yeah. just the day that I opened up, because I didn't know you were going to be there and I knew I was going to be interviewed on this, but I opened up my Twitter and I follow, I think like six or 7,000 people. And I never really go through my feed just because there's so many people on there. And I just opened it and it happened to be on that feed page. And there was happened to be somebody retweeted something you said. And I was like, are you here? And it just, I don't know. I have these moments where things just click and I have lots of moments where they don't. Sure, so sure. it's not like that all the time, but yeah, no, but I, I, I try to listen when that happens. Yeah. And so I, I want to pause and just fill in. That's some why of the I was blanks. like, Hey, are you here? And I was like thinking you'd be like, yes, I am. We should meet up. Cause it was like 7 PM and you're like, yeah, I'm going to turn in for the night. I'm like, 
um what like hello like hello like do you want to go for a drink it's like ooh, long day like maybe tomorrow for lunch oh my gosh that's totally <laughs> I don't true know about me know that you go to bed like it's i mean i don't know really what time but i just knew that you were i knew i was gonna have to get up at the Oh, see, you're so nice. Go. You, I, you, I hey, set let's... the alarm. I did it six thirty. Oh I was like, God. I'm gonna meet this guy. You're so nice. I was totally in my just hotel room, probably in bed around eight o'clock or something. I, <laughs> now, number one, I do go to bed super early. I'm not ashamed of that. And I, I just had this. I still have this crazy cold that I'm trying to kick. But mm-hmm. having said all that, I like. um I, I I believe you when you say I follow certain nudges or feelings or intuitions mm-hmm. because most people that are at Evolving Faith, they're there because they want to soak in the content because it's so important to them and they're hanging on by a dear life and and yes. it's so important to hear what so-and-so speaker says and so-and-so speaker says. And, and we talked on a Saturday morning, right? So I had already been there for two or three days. You had already been there. And it was like, I think I said... You know, what do you think so far? And then you sort of had this sheepish look on your face and you're like, well, I didn't even go to the sessions yesterday morning and slept in and, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm sort of overwhelmed and I'm saturated <laughs> and, you know, all this stupid stuff. But um, but I, I also, I absolutely agree that we were meant to connect face to face before we did this podcast because my sense of like even um, meeting you, talking to you, the what we talked about, what we fell right into, and what it, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know what yes. God is doing in anything, but but I resonated with that sense of that was meant to be somehow for some reason, and and so yes, yeah, and I love when things like that happen. Like I just, and it's not all the time, and I think when it does happen in my life, it it may happen a little more. I don't know if it happens a little more than most people. I would say that. Certain things that happen to me seem a little bit of a bigger deal, let's say. Like I happen to, you know, I, I, my friend who knows Matthew Paul Turner said, I, that's the one person I really want you to meet there. And then I just, I happened to go with my friend who was volunteering at the thing and he had to be back because he was volunteering. And then it was right at the moment where everybody else had these long lines, but because Matthew Paul Turner's books were sold out, he just didn't have anybody there. Mm -hmm. So I got this chance to talk with him and like, Um, it's not so much for me about networking or anything like that because, um, you know, again, like honesty is part of my recovery and I, I, I will be honest even if it's risky, but, um, part of it for me in this journey of doing ministry and speaking and writing, I had a moment like in 2011 where I met a lot of people and I had these really big opportunities, but I started to get this like really hungry kind of ego drive and, it was just all about hustle. And I, that is not a good place for me. I can do it. Um, but it's not good for my soul. And I happened to come across, um, you know, Richard Rohr's book, uh, falling upward. Mm -hmm. And I, I just felt at that moment, like, I just don't want to be in first half of life stuff with all this ministry. Like I just been disappointed so many times. Like they always say, never meet your heroes, which, Mm -hmm. um, it's so funny because I, yeah, that's one thing about meeting you. And I don't know if people know this, but I would, I would say this like from the bottom of my heart is you're one of those people that's Mm -hmm. the real deal. And so it's so nice when I get to meet the people who 
they really in person are like mm. what you hope, you know, mm. or more. Um, but most, a lot of the time, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, you meet people who are doing things, even in my world of psychology, or even these people who are like supposedly the best speakers in recovery. And they're just kind of dicks, you know? Yeah. And so I just don't want to become like that. I really don't. I, and I still can be like that, but I think for me to be true to my soul, I had to give up the hustle. Um, and so instead I try to, again, part of my recovery is step three, living one day at a time and just listening, just doing the next right thing for one day at a time. And when I'm really attentive like that, these other things seem to happen that are more organic and are meant to be. But if I do one day end up getting to say, put out a, a book for kids on the 12 steps, which I'd love to do, because I love the idea of parents in recovery, not having to have shame around going to meetings and it being yeah. a, a bad thing, a bad problem, but actually being able to share that and kids knowing like even step one, the idea that it's not your fault, like there's something mm -hmm. working on us, pulling us away from who we really are. It's not all on us. Mm -hmm. Like that's really exciting to me. So yeah, there were these other things that happened when I was there. Um, and even just some little things in nature too. And um, I'm a single mom and I'm a full-time single mom. Like some people are kind of, like I was explaining to you, like yeah, this yeah. thing I'm on online dating and it's like 50% parenting sort of. And I'm like, what? You get like a week off every other week? I can't, I can't even, like, I don't even know. I can't even, right? Even compared to people that are married, like together, that almost seems like easier. So mm -hmm. um, in my situation, you know, um, my older daughter doesn't see, you know, her dad, the younger one only has supervised visits. Like I'm really a full time single mom. So even getting away and just sleeping, like people look at me, they're really judgy. That's why I got oh, the yeah. sheepish look. They're, they're really judgy that I like sleep in, but I'm like, no, this is me staying alive really like, yeah. you know, to do what I meant to do, but it just somehow works out. So, but I do have to get up really early certain times too, like to meet mm -hmm. the early bird. Otherwise I wouldn't have really got to hang, hang with you. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I try to, I try to listen to that anyway. Well, that is something I want to ask you about. It's actually one of the questions that I wrote down Okay. because when, when I, when I started really to talk to you, it became even just in the very beginning of our talking together, even on Saturday morning, it was like, it became so clear that you have patterns of self-care, like mm -hmm. sleep is one of them. And, yes. and I said something like, I don't know what I said about sleep. And you're like, sleep is everything. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if you don't get good sleep, what are you? And yeah. everybody knows that, but no one actually structures their life around it. And so how did you get to the place where, and it's got to be a part of your recovery, but where you could name, here's my program for self-care and here's what it is. I mean, even that ego stuff that you just ran through, it's like you have a way of thinking about your own development, your own self-care. Could you mm -hmm. just talk about how you develop sure. that and, and yeah, what are some so, of the things that are important to you? Yes. So, um, you know, I am a therapist, right? And that is my trade, I guess, or, you know, my career. Uh, I knew from the age of 13 that I wanted to be a therapist. So it's really weird for me that I ended up an ordained minister. Like that was not part of my plan. And I do get a little, like, I do feel a little weird when, cause I did my master's at seminary as a counselor. So I would look at the Psalms like, well, how does this apply to somebody who is um, grieving? Not what is the original, like, what is the genre of literature or whatever, you know, all these things yeah. that pastors have to say. So I am a therapist. That is a big part of who I am. And so I started out my journey uh, with um, a website called anxietycenter.com. 
And um, this, they didn't pay me to say this, but they're really, really good. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I worked with them for four years and um, it's anxiety center spelled R-E at the end of it, if anybody needs it as a resource. But um, I actually did their program because I was having panic attacks and I was having severe insomnia and I'd always been kind of an anxious person and I still am. I'm kind of type A. I'm kind of like a little bit, you know, like that anyway. Um, but it was out of control. And um, and then I would ha- kind of be really burned out because I wasn't sleeping. So uh, somebody said to me, that's anxiety. And I was like, oh, really? Like, I didn't know what was going on with me because I'd never had panic attacks before. But I just was getting this thing where I felt like I couldn't take a deep breath and I couldn't breathe. Um, and so I did their program. And then they actually will only hire people who've been anxiety conditioned for you for a certain period of time. Mm. And so you have to have gone through it yourself and have recovered and be medication free. And so I just loved what they were doing. They're a Christian couple and they're pretty conservative. So, I mean, we differ in that sense. Like when I told them that I was going to be starting, um, an LGBTQ friendly church, um, like their big question was like, when, when are you going to, um, like tell them about their sin? And I was like, I was just like, and it's so hard for me because I'm just like, okay, well, when am I going to tell you about your sin? Like, why aren't you asking me that question? Like it's anyway, so I could go on and on, but I am really, I have had to learn because unity is so prevalent in the 12 steps and tolerance and patience. I've had to learn that I have to be really, really aware of what each person is bringing to the conversation and honor that. And they are bringing something very wonderful to the conversation on mental health and they know about anxiety better than anyone. And so Um, They approach it from a physical perspective as well, rather than just psychological and also spiritual. So it's very holistic and and nobody else does that. Most psychologists approach it psychologically, right, which would make sense. Uh, So understanding the biological side of it and what it's like to have an overstimulated nervous system, um, I... Uh, had to do the recovery and then I had to um, help people for four years straight all day every day that's all I did and so when you're preaching it you have to live it right and so I just think that that ingrained in me a really different perspective on what makes people sick and how it what's the differences when you feel well and um, I'm I'm forever grateful to them because it's it's helped me to have that true rhythm in my life that is sustainable and I I do get um I, I get tired more easily than most people, I think, because I'm so, so sensitive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for other highly sensitive people out there, they would get that. And I, I thought I was an extrovert when I was younger. Now I wonder if I'm an introvert. introvert. Like, I know you switch on that, but um, like I'm somewhere in the middle. But I definitely think because I'm like HSP, like a highly sensitive person, I need to be away from people to refuel. Mm-hmm. And um And so there was another thing that my supervisor said one time, he told me this really weird story about this person who was like really sick or something. And they could only do, I think they could only work like two hours a day or something. I forget what the amount of time was, but he just talked about like, but when they worked, wow, the Mm -hmm. quality of what they did, you know, but that's all that they could do. Mm -hmm. And that always sticks with me because sometimes I just need a lot more rest and downtime. But then when I'm ready to go, like, you know, even my, um, like the person who led me as a pastor said, I'm kind of like a racehorse, like you Mm -hmm. can't really hold me back. So Mm -hmm. when I go, I go. But then when I rest, I like really rest. I'm not really more like those kind of horses that are um, the ones that are work horses that do it Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think I've just had to honor myself in that way. And when I was doing university, I used to feel so ashamed that 
I was like the person who could only do four classes. I thought, why can everybody else do five or even six? And I, right when I hit five, I get like out of control and I get depressed and I can't handle the workload, but four, I'm fine. And now I've just realized that's just who I am, right? I can do really well at the things I do, um, but I can't take on too much or I, you know, mm -hmm. I'll start to have like little mini breakdowns all the time. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so hopefully that helps. Is that what you're? Oh getting? yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, I think what I hear in that is just recognizing anxiety, going yes. through um, a program that helps you to even identify. I, I'm guessing, like even identify. Well, I mean, I'm not guessing. I have anxiety. I'm on medication for it. I depression, anxiety. I know what it's like to all of a sudden realize, oh, I've been living what I've considered normal is actually crazy out of whack. And I just totally. think it's normal, you know, like, and I, I think I, most people are like that. Like, I, I really feel like most people in our culture are like that. And I think that's what makes it really difficult. Because when the culture around you, like, I there's just lots of things I think about, I think about what my grandparents, because both my grandpa and my dad were entrepreneurs. So I think that's in my blood, but they had their businesses and people worked nine to five, mm -hmm. like, you know, that song work in nine to five, like, <laughs> nobody in Calgary works nine to five now, like people work like 730 to like five or something. Yeah. And then, you know, there was this break room and people smoke cigarettes and they'd have their coffee. So they'd have their coffee breaks for sure. Mm -hmm. They'd have their one hour lunches plus they'd mm -hmm. have their other next coffee break. And I, you know, I say to people like the government made that, like, you have to do that as a business, not because they're nice, because they realize that humans don't thrive if mm -hmm. they don't have that, they don't mm -hmm. function well. And so, yeah, it is, it is really a passion of mine. And, and like I said about mission year, the idea of having a Sabbath, I'm so glad that they instilled that in me early because yeah, for a while for me, it was Wednesdays and I would just shut everything down. I get the kids to school on Wednesdays. I would go to this retreat center and, and a lot of the times I would fall asleep and I'd sleep and I'd be like, really God, like this, <laughs> this is like, I drove all the way out here to have mm -hmm. a nap, but yep. that's what I needed. And so, um, yeah, I, I really feel sad in my heart for how many people um, don't feel permission really to set those boundaries. They're not encouraged to do it. They don't realize the seriousness of what it causes in terms of disease and stuff. And then there's some basic things. Like if I, I always tell people if I could only say two things about anxiety and there is a difference between anxiety and an anxiety condition. That's the other thing. I'll always have anxiety here and there, but I don't have an anxiety condition anymore. And, you know, so that's anyway, that's kind of more technical, but Basically, I would say, you know, no caffeine because it's huge in terms of the overstimulation. And then I would say meditation, you know, 20 minutes a day guided because, you know, people with anxiety disorders tend to be quite intelligent. They need something to play with in their mind. They can't just like close their eyes and become one with the universe, you know, um, but to listen to something guided when you get your body to a state where it's really, really relaxed, but still awake. 20 minutes of that is the same as four hours of solid sleep for your body. It's so healing. Whoa. Yeah. So I just, I, you know, I, I am really passionate. Even though I have this whole other world in ministry, mm -hmm. you know, that is something that I, I hope that we can change. And I hope that we can change it for our kids too. Well, and I would, in terms of meditation, um, now there are, I think, really some really good apps that that lead you through Insight Timer. Have you heard of Insight Timer? Are you following? I that? haven't. No, I just, I'm such a creature of habit. I don't know. I think there's something about, I guess, 
I don't know, sometimes some of the um, like YouTube ones are kind of woo woo. And then like I did Headspace and his voice was annoying me. I don't know. I'm a little like, I don't know, I'm a little OCD about things sometimes. So I have these ones from anxietycenter.com that I've always used. And I just like them because like one of them is a guided visualization where you imagine colors and you go through kind of the colors, the rainbow, like red, orange, yellow, you go that direction. Then you do a safe place. Then you go backwards through the colors. So it can always be different for me. Like I, sometimes it's fruit. So there was a time I was watching Project Runway for a while. So it was like dresses, but Mm -hmm. I always have something to visualize and I don't even need a recording now. So I'll just do things like that that are familiar to me or progressive relaxation where you do the tense and relax of the muscles in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that is preventative as well. So it's healing, but it also has become like brushing my teeth and, Mm -hmm if I stick with that and it, yeah. And thankfully it worked out to be part of the 12 steps too. at step 11. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it just works in my life, but yeah. Okay. I, I want to ask you about 12 steps, spirituality, as well as the Q communities that you started. Okay. But I think before I want to ask you that, I want to ask you, um, and you've already mentioned like you knew at one point when you got into vocational ministry that you didn't want ego to sort of take, like you were noticing the push, the drive. Yes. And I really think this is one of the biggest things for all of us. I I don't care if you're in ministry, not ministry. There's this, there's, um, there's noticing when ego is healthy and needed. And then when it gets way out of whack, can you talk more about what you mean by ego and, and how you notice when it's taking over? Okay. So what I mean by my supervisor will probably cringe. So we can't tell him about this recording because I really don't know about ego, what how to define it. And he'd probably be a lot better at that than I would. Um, But I think for me, what I relate it to would probably be false self, you know, that language. And I think for me, it is... um, What I notice more rather than defining it, because I think he'd be better at that, but... um, when I notice it, it's when um, I'm defensive. Uh, mm-hmm. That's usually my ego. Um, when I, you know, I'm really caring about what people think about me. When I'm trying to present an image of myself that isn't really the reality. Um, you know, a big thing for my supervisor and has become a big thing for me. Um, his name is Stephen Brown, though, by the way, if you want to look him up, um, he's great in the psychology world. And I found him because of Twitter, just like how I found you. So, you know, Twitter isn't all bad. Exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, he um, is a big fan of real. And so I've become a big fan of real. And so, you know, sometimes for me, you know, I define ego in terms of like not real when I'm not Mm -hmm, being real. mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard because, you know, one of the times I know for sure when I'm being real and other people are being real is when they get tears in their eyes as Mm -hmm. they're talking and then they are telling you something about their life and it gets quite emotional. And it's hard for me when that happens for me because people think I'm sad, but I'm not. It's just I'm really, really being honest. Mm -hmm. And it means that I trust you enough to show you my soul, you know, and what really matters to me. Um, but there are other times, you know, when I'm being mostly real too, and it, and I can tell because it feels risky. Mm -hmm. It feels like, okay, like this, I'm taking a risk. Now, you know, something about me that's actually true and you could hurt me with it. Whereas like my ego is a lot, a lot more of a protected state. And I, and I thought about that a lot in terms of these interviews I have coming up to and the book and speaking, because it's just such an easy trap to start talking about what I know. And that becomes a bit of a like persona for me. So, 
um, you know, I think that I really want to be careful of um, being honest about the struggle because there's certain ways that I still do suffer. But at the same time, there's a lot of things I've learned that have been really helpful to help me out of suffering. And so I want to be honest about that, too. I don't want to just be the person that's like honest about the pain and the struggle, but then there's no way out. But I don't want to pretend like everything's great all the time either. So the pretending everything's great all the time is usually my ego. And, you know, because I'm a two, you know, I like to be happy and sort of I don't like to acknowledge my own anger. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know if that's really a, you know, good good definition, but it's I'm feeling my way around with all yeah. of that stuff, too, because it's not necessarily my exact wheelhouse, but I, I help clients with it too. Like the more that I've been able to recognize it in my own self when I'm getting there, um, the more that I can see it in others and help them as well. And regardless of whatever I do with people, you know, as a counselor and in psychology, um, real is where it's at. When somebody gets to be the, the, who they really are, that in and of itself is reinforcing. It feels so good mm -hmm. when you're being yourself, you mm -hmm. know? And so you know, whether I'm doing anxiety, depression, couples work, whatever, um, I'm looking for that when ego is getting involved and then helping people out of that. Because a lot of times people will, even when it comes to authenticity, because I think authenticity is real, but a lot of times people will say, well, I'm just being honest, blah, 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 blah. That's mm -hmm. actually not honest. That is ego. Right. Right. So my supervisor will say like, anytime you're really driven to do something, don't, that's mm -hmm. ego. So hmm. like if I get like a, you know, an email that really is like, yeah, and I kind of want to, oh, I'm going to tell them a piece. No, that's not honest because mm -hmm. what's really true and honest within me is that I'm sad or mm -hmm. I feel betrayed or I'm really disappointed or I'm scared, mm -hmm. you know, but that's not what I'm saying to them. I'm kind of, you know, it's a backlash. So yeah, hopefully oh, that's gosh, helped. no, that, that all is really good. I really particularly resonated with that last, that last piece of like, because I think authenticity in certain circles is this big value now. Yes. But, and for a good reason, it's better than pretending. But you just illuminated there's a way of sounding authentic air quotes that you're really just stuck in ego because you're you're not 100 percent yeah. like even like reality TV or like, you know, I saw this one speaker that was like coming out with their to tell people about their anxiety. And it was like, ooh, this is that big kind of revealing moment that they're gonna talk about having an anxiety disorder. But even that had become a new mask. Like that's mm -hmm. ego mm -hmm. is this cunning, baffling, powerful thing where it, you just get a better disguised ego. Now yeah. my mask is I'm the girl who talks about having an anxiety disorder so that you will like me because I'm like, it's kind of a voyeurism thing, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's still not me really telling you what's going on for me. And I think that's what I was saying about um, what I really, really like about the work that you're doing and what I connect with the most is um, there are these moments when you'll say things, especially like if you're doing your own talk on this, where you say it and I'm just so freaking glad that you said it because I'm like so many people that are speakers would never have just said that hmm. they would have that whoa I just said that like I can't believe <laughs> I shared that about myself and yeah. I'm like that's the thing that pushes me to do it that's mm -hmm. what I want to do mm -hmm. um and so it's a tricky line for me because there is so much positive within recovery and with the therapeutic work that I've done like my own therapy where I feel really good. So it's a tricky line because I don't want to seem like I'm worse off than I am, but I also don't want to always seem like I'm like doing awesome. You know, if that makes sense, yep. I don't no, know. 
Totally. They're, I think you're expressing so exquisitely, actually, the the balance of living this life that's real, because real, you can just fall off of it into, totally. you know, um, so you said you're a two, I'm, I'm exploring whether or not what I am, but I have believed that I'm a three and a self-pres three, we joked about that too, but self-pres threes, if I am one, <clears throat> which again, in this phase of my life, I'm not sure, but self-pres threes, um, actually they're, so threes are all about vanity. They, 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 you know, put on their masks, a self-pres three, their mask is, is not looking like you're putting on a mask, like appearing authentic or mm. appearing, um, uh, like you're, you're not vain. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it, so yes. it's just really like, you know, and then you're just in your head, right? Of course, you know, so there's a freedom in not worrying so much about even I, I mean, I laughed, like there's so many things he said that made me laugh even well after we were together. But I was talking about, I have a sabbatical coming up, you know, and, and next summer maybe. And, and I was telling someone like, I, I want to prepare for it. I want to be ready for it. I don't just want to drink a <laughs> bottle of bourbon every night. And then later on, you're like, I don't know. I think like maybe you should so you can get some yes. sleep or whatever. Yes, and that I is exactly like, what I was thinking. Yes, I was listening to you. I was like trying not to be judgy, but I was just like, I hope you drink a bottle of bourbon every night and relax. Like why why, why do we even prepare for a Sabbath? What does that even mean? Like does the field prepare for its like, don't they leave the field for a year? Like I again, I didn't study like most of the pastors, but like does the field prepare to like write a book in its meantime when it's not producing fruit? No, it rests like – but that's yes. what I mean, like, like in, okay without you, like, and yes. that's the for me is there's this humility of like, like even again, like part of my step three practice is I get up and I get on my knees beside my bed in the morning. I try to, you know, I make my bed. That's part of a thing for me because I'm not good at that. And I say my third step prayer and I offer myself to God. And like, sometimes I just don't. And I get busy and I go to do something and I kind of get this temptation, like not to do it. And then there's this weird thing when I'm like, what is so important? Like, who am I? Like what, what I can't just sort of kneel and spend this moment trying to like get in contact with like whatever I believe is a source of all that is so good and holy. And what else do I have to do? Like what is, I don't know. It just, and I think no, I that know. that's why I love recovery too, because it, it is cunning, baffling and powerful how this all works within me. And I have enough shit to worry about in myself. I don't need to judge you anymore. I don't need to fix everybody else and worry about what everybody else is doing, right? And I do really believe this thing that it's not this kind of self-obsessed sort of place. Mm -mm. It's actually when I get myself aligned and and I'm, you know, in, in that prayer, it's about, you know, free me from the bondage of self. I'm actually more free to give and contribute to the world and the world becomes better around me anyway. So it actually is the opposite because I spend a little bit of time focusing on getting well myself. I don't spend as much time focusing on myself the rest of the day if mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. yeah. So, well, yeah. So yeah. you can be perhaps attentive to others in a way that's healthy and healing, you know, and then you're going to need to healthier. go back into your rhythm. I like healthier because I don't think healthy, like I like healthier, like right. <laughs> I don't think healthier unhealthy. I can be healthier. <laughs> oh, I like that. No, that's really good. I like that. I like that. Um, okay. So I do want to ask you, and this is just all the same vein of conversation, really. That's how I see it. But okay. at a point in your life, you started a church 
that then yes. became really a 12-step community. And, and so talk about that journey and what that has become. Okay. Yeah. So um, I met some people in 2011, you know, kind of through Bart Campolo and others um, that were progressive Christians. And they were telling me about how um, there's actually these like biblical arguments for same-sex marriage. And I was like, what are you, what, what, like what, how, how could you even do that? Um, and one person that did it really well is Peggy Campolo. And I still have the recordings of like Tony and Peggy doing their talk, um, where he's, you know, on the side of celibacy and she's on the side of same-sex marriage and they're both presenting their biblical arguments. And, uh, I loved it because they both modeled that we can have different opinions and still really get along. And I loved that, um, they were both very compassionate. Um, so anyhow, I, I found out about that. And so I thought that I went to the speakers gathering because I really thought that I was going to be a speaker about topics on psychology. And I thought, okay, this is going to be, you know, just because I felt like with the anxiety work, I was seeing the same things over and over and over one by one by one. And I just thought, man, there's got to be a better way like to get help people. Right. And to get people that to know this stuff. Um, so that's why I went, uh, to, you know, to meet up with different people to learn how to speak, and then when I was there, I found out all this stuff about Christianity and it just was all starting to click more for me that I could still actually be really passionate and in love with Jesus and not have to, you know, hate my gay neighbor or whatever the thing is. And so that was so, uh, it was like food for my soul. And so then a couple of weeks later, I had this it was like those little nudges we talked about earlier, but like a loud one, like a real <laughs> blah. And I felt this thing of like, you're called to be a pastor. And I was like, what? Like, no, this, no, this is not part of the plan. And you're called to start a gay friendly church and da, 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 da. And so it was like, I cried a lot because it's just overwhelming when that happens. And, um, and so, yeah, I felt called to be a pastor and start a gay friendly church. That's all that I knew. And so then I went to a, a lot of the men in the city because my city's all male pastors. And uh, I talked to them about what I was going to do. And some people said, you know, I believe you about the whole, you know, how, you know, being LGBTQ affirming. But they would say to me, but if you ask me publicly, I'll deny it, you know, because mm -hmm. they cared about their paychecks or whatever. So or I still whatever. Thought <laughs> I, don't know. Yeah. So I don't know what reasons were maybe it was like they cared more about what their friends thought maybe it was a paychecks I don't know but yeah. um no that's but, what yeah. I love about you just didn't pause like I because you're like well yeah I mean that's what we're gonna do like well what's your problem you know like yes. what, what's oh, your why, why are I you do have that, like a little yeah. bit of like naiveness to me sometimes like and it helps me it do stuff that if I didn't, like I wouldn't do it. Cause I just sort of think, yeah, of course. And then later I find out, whoa, no, other people don't think like this, but then it's mm -hmm. too late because I've already started. Right. I love it. Um, if I knew how hard it was going to be, then I probably wouldn't have done it. So there is something about that innocence when we, when we think we can do stuff, but, but yeah, so I, uh, tried to start it with some other male pastors. They only wanted me to speak if one of them was there with me. And it got really weird. And one of the guys was like, hey, we didn't treat him like this, like when he joined our group, right? And so it turned out kind of to be this thing between them. But the one guy that was kind of standing with me was like, didn't want to upset his friends. So it just got a little weird. So then I felt like I had to do it really truly on my own, this church plant, rather than kind of in this network of progressives, which I realized that like, 
even progressive can be like a mask and you're Mm -hmm. still kind of the same DNA. It's just like you're selling different stuff. And so I started it in the basement of a coffee shop and I only had one person coming. He was really, really tall, like six foot five. He wore this hooded cloak thing all the time with a big hood that almost covered his face. It was so, it was so scary. Like I'm five, five and a half. Like he was probably six, five. And, uh, I was by myself in the basement of a coffee shop. Like it wasn't good. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is, this can't be God, you know? And, um, and then he brought these photocopies of all how people can like change their sexuality. And I was like, Ooh. no, like, this is not, this is the opposite. This is like, and what do you do? Cause I think, Oh, you know, everybody's welcome. Like, no. Okay. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah. So then I kind of, uh, realized I needed to do a talk. So I did a talk called a night about compassion and it wasn't about changing people's minds about what they believed about the Bible and same sex marriage. It was a night about compassion. Can we all grow in compassion together about what it must be like waking up as a child, you know, it makes, brings me to tears, but just mm-hmm. know that you're gay and to know that you're alone. And like, I mean, at that point, one of my stepdaughters, she was in a, in her grade 10 class at a Christian school Um, and, uh, you know, the teacher had spent the whole class telling them about how gay people are worse than pathological liars, because at Mm. least pathological liars can stop lying. And she was the only one in that class who was like fighting back. And, um, and she came home that it was so sad. She came home that night and she said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Mm. And she said, the people who are not Christians that I knew, like what I lived with my mom, are actually way nicer than these people at this Christian school. And my, you know, younger daughter was going there and I thought, oh my gosh, is this how she's going to turn out? Like these high school kids that are just so hateful. Like I didn't think that the hate started that early. Like I, I didn't, I thought that they would feel something and they would fight back against what the teacher was saying. And so, um, then the next day he pulled her aside. He was like the Spanish teacher too. Like, I don't even know how that relates or no, he was the foods teacher anyway, whatever. And he, um, pulled her aside and said, have you thought about what I said? Oh yeah. Cause she talked to him after class and she said, how, how can you say this? What if your son was gay? Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't have any sons. I only have daughters. Like mm-hmm. as if his daughter couldn't be gay. Yeah. And so he pulled her aside the next day and he said, um, he said, have you thought about what I said? And she said, I did. And he said, because I'm right and you're wrong and it's really going to matter. Can I pray for you? And she said, no, thank you. Mm. And she came and she said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Yeah. So at that point, I, I, it was right around the same time when I had met these people. So I started giving her these resources. Like there are other Christians who think differently like this. This isn't the whole picture. And so, um, while I was doing that, then I hosted this night about compassion and then like four people who came to that actually wanted to help me start a community, uh, that was a safe place. And it was in my living room and it was still that some people call it the attractional model, but it was still the thing where I put everything together. I'm the speaker. And then you come and listen and kind of download information, even though it was in my living room. And so I, it was good because people ask questions and that's sort of where the, the Q comes from in Q faith community is questioning. Cause I think we can all fit into that mm-hmm. category. Mm-hmm. Um, but people could ask their questions and I would try to share and answer them. And we do topics like, you know, just a topic of forgiveness or whatever, but it was still like that. And then at the time I entered into recovery and I thought, oh my goodness, like if church was like this, mm-hmm. everyone would come. Because there was this authenticity in the room and there was this love 
Hmm. that was like genuine. It was like, we really care about you, but it also wasn't codependent. It was this thing of like, there's this saying in, in, um, like AA, for example, that says, um, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, that's our business. So Hmm. you don't have to do it alone. And so it's really not codependent. So nobody in my recovery meeting was kind of latching onto me. Like they would maybe if I was new at a church, but they were just genuine about it. And they're like, here's our phone numbers if you need someone to talk to. And I just was blown away. And I was also blown away by it was like this no BS zone Mm -hmm. because I started to talk in the room like I would at like a Bible study and the room gets like uncomfortable and shifty and stuff. So that also helps with ego for me Mm -hmm. when I have a room of other people that can sense it because they're giving me that feedback in so many ways. Um, But yeah, so then I went back to the faith community I was a part of and I said, I really think we should use this model. Everybody participates, you know, it doesn't, it's not based around one, you know, entertaining person. Mm-hmm. And some people left and they didn't feel like it had enough Bible and, you know, da, 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 da. And I've had to learn really through a lot of pain, you know, and being a church planner and pastor over the years that that is really a gift when mm-hmm. people go, usually yeah. that's good for them and it's good for the community. But at the time it really hurt. Oh, and yeah. I, I was really torn between like, do I listen to what they want? And do the speaking because that's what they want. But I just think there's something really unhelpful about that model, Mm -hmm. to be honest. And so I did it the other way and the communities are small, but they're still going and they run themselves just like AA or Al-Anon or, you know, OA, any of our meetings. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Mm. And so there's two in Calgary and one in Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there was one in Pasadena, but that one uh, shut down. And then, yeah, the one, there's one in Calgary that we're just maybe going to do like kind of a restart on. Um, But yeah, they run themselves. I had, uh, I stepped down from leading Q at the end of last year and I had six months completely away from the communities. And yeah, I didn't know if they would be able to still work without me, but they did. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm not that, you know, (laughs) Uh, but now I'm just a member and it's so different being a member. Like I can't even explain it. It's like amazing. Mm. Well, okay. I, I'm looking at the time and we're almost out of time. This is just so nuts that I could just go on forever, forever asking you these questions. But, um, so you're a therapist, you started these Q communities that are really safe places for people to practice 12 steps, spirituality. Um, and I heard you say basically that essentially the 12 steps can be for anyone because we're all we're all in recovery from something we're all addicted to something did, did i hear that right did you say that sort of or did well, i hear that wrong yeah i mean i think the part that i would agree with is the 12 steps are for everyone for sure because for me when i found the 12 steps it was like i haven't really thought of a good analogy but the only thing i can think of is almost like being an english speaker and then like relearning English from like an ESL student or something Mm, and like capturing it all over again from somebody who's like just learning it and explaining to you why it is the way that it is. And it was like, it was like somebody was teaching me my Christianity all over Mm, again, but from a place where 
they had to really practice it because of desperation and it was actually working for them. And I hadn't realized I'd given up practicing Christianity. I just had a certain set of beliefs. But when I started practicing it again, it came alive for me in this amazing way. So yes, I think the 12 steps are for everyone um, because it's a higher power of your own understanding. It's making peace with people. You get to live at peace with people on the earth, which is amazing to, to make peace and not have any like loose ends with people, all this stuff. But um, I think that, you know, they align really well with Christianity if you're Christian. The part that I wouldn't necessarily agree with is I just personally don't frame that we're all addicts. I don't really see it that way. I really like the idea of the word recovery as getting something back. It's like you're mm. recovering something. Oh, yeah. And so I like the idea of like we're recovering something that's lost or stolen, mm. which is like our true identity, our mm. true calling. Mm. So I like it from that perspective. So I like it from the perspective of like, if you want to awaken, then this mm. is, and if you want to awaken to your true self, if you want to get your, you know, path back, your, who you are, that, that feeling that you got when you're first a Christian, any of those things, then, um, that's the recovery part for me. Yeah. Thank you. That was so good. That was such a good reframing. I, I love that actually. And, and and it reminds me of, so the word religion is sort of a bad word these days, but but really it, it comes from the word, and you know this, I'm sure, but it comes from the word ligament. And so it really means a good religion holds things together and helps you recover something that you lost, you know, versus driving everything apart and driving everyone apart, right? So that's, I think, why we Yes. That's why we call religion a bad word is because that's typically what it does. But what I also hear you saying is that practicing the 12 steps, it, like in terms of Christianity, like it, it makes you ask this question, well, is how you're living working? You know? Yes. <laughs> Meaning, am I becoming, like take the fruits of the spirit, right? More patient, more kind, more loving, more joyful. Am I becoming more at home in myself? Am I... You know, not working in terms of like, am I winning the whatever, the world for Christ or some stupid thing like that, but working like, is your life working, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think that's where like, that's the other trouble that I have sometimes with the 12 steps nowadays because you know, the church, people are like, the church is dying, all the churches, you know, it's the Titanic is sinking or whatever. And I do feel like I am building these like little lifeboats, like I, you know, in these little 12 step meetings, but, um, they think sometimes that the 12 steps is like the total solution. Like oh, this yeah, is like yeah. the answer, you know? <clears throat> and so I have spent enough time there to know that there's also some problems there as well with the 12 steps, like, you know, the anonymous piece, right? Like that's really built kind of around shame. And like, Jesus is like, go and make disciples. Well, there isn't really an anonymous piece with Jesus, right? So, you know, there's that, or there's um, like the fact that, you know, what it reminded me of when you were talking is like, sometimes people, if let's say it's just um, abstinence in OA, for example, and like, you're not overeating, sometimes people make that like the only measure sort of of if of wellness and yes there's a lot of other things like in the 12 step promises but i do feel sometimes like when aa says its primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety people pick that up as like their primary purpose like that's it like as long as i'm sober and i'm helping other alcoholics i'm winning mm -hmm. and for me you know i met a lot of people actually in 12 step that are like wanted to explore church or like had never picked up a Bible because they felt like they didn't belong. And it suddenly opened up this whole new world in terms of purpose. And, you know, it just was so far beyond. So yeah, I think that there are, are 
things that are amazing in the 12 steps. But for me, it's kind of the threefold, like therapy is huge for me working through my past stuff, my triggers, you know, being psychologically healthy in certain ways. You know, Christianity is really deep and meaningful for me in like the biggest way in terms of what I feel is true. Um, and Jesus as the way that I'm following. And then the 12 steps are a practice that, that mm -hmm. actually, you know, call me on it and get me doing it and mm -hmm. living it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of all three. It reminds me of this guy. I, was, I sat beside this like bodybuilder on the way back from Denver and he's this like Instagram, like star or whatever. It was crazy. But he told me that there's like three things, like if you want to get like in shape, he said like, and most people are missing one. And he said, you know, it's nutrition, it's cardio, it's weights. Like it's those three. And most people are missing one of those. Yeah. And I, I don't know, for me, I kind of feel like these three for me in terms of wellness are all like pretty important. Yeah. Um, and I think some people are just missing one. Like some of my 12 step friends were really missing the Christianity piece. And when they found Q, it, it was dramatic for them. Like it mm -hmm. was huge. It wasn't like they had it kind of all figured out just in 12 step. Mm -hmm. Um, and then some people have like 12 step in Christianity, but then they don't really do their therapy stuff mm -hmm. and they still are carrying a lot with them from their, you know, earlier in their life. So yeah, I, I think that they all matter for yeah. feeling good. And, fe and not just feeling good, but like there's something about being aligned, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's something feeling true or being awake that isn't because that's the other thing is for me, sometimes being real means I suffer terribly now mm -hmm. in, you know, with this journey and this narrow way, there is pain along it. And I, and I am being more honest with myself. I actually feel it. I'm not avoiding it as much, but it's quicker. Real feelings are actually quick. They hurt like hell, but when you get through them, they're fast. Mm -hmm. When you have these other emotions uh, that linger, that's, that's the stuff that I'm getting away from by mm -hmm. being well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that hangs around. So, yeah. well, and you just, I mean, that's impermanence. That's, you know, um, oh, it's so good. Okay. This is the last question. Okay. I promise you until the next time I interview you, cause there <laughs> has to be a part two, cause this is so good. Uh, anything you're working on right now, any projects that you want to tell us about or let us in on, um, in terms of just following you and your work? Yeah. So I just finished the manuscript for my book. So mm -hmm. it's on 12 step spirituality for yeah. anyone who wants to grow. Uh, so yeah, I'm working on that for sure. Um, Kathleen Falsani is editing it for me, which is so great. And then, um, yeah, I am on Twitter, which is kind of the main place to find me. I just kind of accidentally ended up there because they said you had to have Twitter if you want to have a successful counseling practice. So I just like opened it up, but that seems to be where I write now. So yeah, I think that those would be the, the best too. And then, yeah, hopefully in the future, my next two projects I'm thinking about, um, well, obviously I'm available to people if they want to start a Q faith community. So the mm. biggest thing is, um, that I, that is challenging is cause everybody likes the idea of it, but then you actually have to do the steps. Right. That's right. really scary. Yeah. Um, but I, people who want to do the steps, I want to help them open those up. Cause I think they're really easy and self-sustaining. Um, and then, uh, I love the idea of doing a couple other books, like one for kids on the 12 steps. And then mm -hmm. one that actually is about church planting. Cause I think that this is, you know, the other thing that I really do and it's, it's worked well. And I think that it makes it a lot easier on people than having to like raise a ton of support and yeah. quit their job and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Jennifer Don Watts, and is it jenniferdonwatts.com? I'll put everything on the show notes, yes. but is it yeah. jenniferdonwatts.com, right? It is. Same yes. on Twitter, right? Jennifer Don Watts? Uh, no, it's just Jen Watts on Twitter because we started with 140 characters and I didn't want That's to use too right. many with my name. That's <laughs> so funny. It's so great. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll put all that on the show notes, stevewings.com slash show notes. And um, 
Yeah, and I think we're going to be doing some more fun stuff together. So stay tuned for that, y'all. Um, thank you so much, Jen. This was so fun for me. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.